Hi everyone, I'm Mimi Nicklin, and this is Secrets of the Gap, a podcast where we will be delving into the secrets and stories of the global empathy gap from workplaces and society. With your time in mind, each episode is only 20 minutes, with the goal of connecting with fascinating people from across the globe to look at the wide-reaching impact of the empathy deficit that is affecting our businesses and our lives today. We will be discussing the value of emotional intelligence and empathy, and given our experience of 2020 so far, well, I believe this conversation couldn't be better timed. Welcome to a new episode of Secrets of the Gap. I'm thrilled you joined us. Hello, everybody, and hello, Almudena. I am so, so thrilled to have you on Secrets of the Gap. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Mimi. Thanks for the invitation. Really exciting to be here. Yeah, abs- I mean, Almudena, we've known each other a long time, so I feel like this is this has probably been like 15 years in the making or something like that. It's been a while. Well, you know, for the universe, time is a very relative metric, so it could be just a few seconds ago that we <laughs> that we last saw each other and now it's the perfect time for us to reconnect so very happy to be here fantastic thank you so much for being here you obviously have had just the most interesting um career set behind you um from very corporate leadership roles within wpp and gray group from a sort of advertising communications point of view um to where you are now as a founder of unlimited potential um looking at work around engagement as an engagement coach and obviously as a mind mentor um, at quality mind global so what I would love for us to do is actually a two-part series because I think you've got huge amounts um, for me and the audience to learn about. Um, so I would love for us today in part one of our conversation to talk a little bit about what you learned in your 20 plus years of leadership uh, with teams, connectivity, how we can really um, think about people and humanity in the workplace. Um, and then in part two, we're going to unpack a little bit more about sort of self-empathy and where focusing on ourselves, where our energy around ourselves um, can take us into sort of even more um, human areas and, and exponential growth areas as people. So without further ado, maybe you could do just a very brief introduction from your sort of corporate career, um, how you spent those 20 plus years as a leader um, and where, yeah, where you were and what you did. Oh, sure. I'll do that very briefly. You know, it's it's been, oh my God, 25 years in the corporate world uh, of, you know, most of them incredibly happy, super engaged and connected and, and was really thrilled about waking up every morning and getting to the workplace. I started my career at Procter & Gamble, where I spent uh, 10 very happy years. And I was incredibly lucky to start my career with one of the best leaders I have ever come across, and he's still my mentor to this day. So I was so lucky. And then after I moved uh, out of PNG, I, I went into the other side of the table, which was with the advertising agencies and the communications. So that's when my WPP and Gray career started. On top of moving continents and countries, I, I left my native uh, country looking for a better life and a better quality so you could say that you know quality has always been one of my driving forces I've never been conformist in terms of you know if, if, if I don't feel I'm in the right place with the right <laughs> human qualities required for for me and my family to thrive we've always made choices even some tough choices at times to to find it and I guess the same thing happened to me at the corporate world and uh, which is why the 
was telling you that 23 out of those 25 were very happy years because as I started growing my career and the job content got more complex and geographically dispersed, you know, I very soon intuitively realized that the only way I could successfully navigate through all of the different local cultures, organizational differences and overall diversity was through universal human qualities. And I intentionally decided I would focus my leadership uh, by building respect and trust. And I'm happy to say that it worked because, you know, many times, you know, management believes by, that by using empathy and trust and this type of universal human qualities, you can lose authority. And the exact opposite happens. People open up, feel free to express their thoughts and ideas. Innovation starts to happen at every level and, and working becomes more rewarding for everyone. And it also makes the hard conversations easier to manage because when tough times come, energy can be focused on solutions and not defensive behavior. And I think that's particularly relevant today because we are heading towards a very stressful and uncertain future. And who do you want to travel with into this future? Because it's, it's in tough and, and, and tough times that we have to be able to trust each other and in every directions, you know, downwards, upwards, sidewards. And, um, you know, in this crisis, we will also have less hands, less hands to, to count with. And, you know, who do you think companies are going to, what kind of companies are going to get the best talent? The, yeah. the best talent will go to those companies that, you know, just have the right environment for people to thrive and to feel they, they, they are not only contributing positively, but that they, have, they are surrounded by inspiring people that is going to be enabling them in, in every possible way. And, and any human is going to be crucial because, you know, it's, it's going to get tough out there. It already is very tough and it's just going to get tougher. It is, it is. And you're right. I mean, I think one of the things that I write and talk about quite a lot is that the millennials, which are now the majority of the workforce, and I'm one of them, um, you know, they don't take fools gladly and they are very confident in their own voices and their own decision-making. So I think your point there around you know, which are the companies that are going to attract the talent, um, it's going to be very simple. It is going to be the ones that value them as human beings, that value um, empathy and trust and honesty and humility. Um, everybody knows we're at work to make money. This is not about um, humanity. No, of course. Over profit. no, no, no. No, humanity beyond profit and how can we balance the two? How can we balance humanism and capitalism so that we have, you know, mutual growth? So, Tell me a little bit, you obviously, um, both from P&G point of view and WPP, you've been in very large, complex organizations, and it can be quite difficult to value the individual, to to find honesty and integrity in some of those complex um, sort of organizational structures. How do you think leaders can do that? How can they navigate these complicated businesses and find their own path for being that type of leader? Well, to me, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this question because obviously this, this crisis has been incredibly rich in terms of insight, particularly as we, as we start to figure out how to move forward. And I believe that one, one thing that, you know, leaders and companies need to be intentionally thinking of in, 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 in a very passionate way is, is on the new reward system we're going to need moving forward. Because at the end of the day, and you know this better than me, you get what you measure. And we need a reward system that celebrates empathetic behaviors and, and celebrates that kind of new leadership that is going to be required from, from now on. Uh, 
Because, you know, so far, most companies have solely focused on measuring performance exclusively based on business results and metrics. And in most cases, in terms of individual contributions, so it's very rare to find collective team metrics or human behaviors capable of building strong, collaborative and innovative cultures. So no wonder the workplace has gotten so harsh and in many cases infused by a toxic level of individualism and and short-term focus. And now that the world requires very complex solutions, as you say, provided by not only technical um, diversity, but also cultural diversity, even companies, you, you will have to create new ecosystem when, where various companies and cultures need to collide and, and start working together. It is time to start rethinking what, what that reward system needs to look like, because in my view, this should be one of the ways uh, to drive faster change and transformation. If we know we're going to be measured by concrete KPIs, doesn't it make sense to start the transformation there? Because we need a new culture. We need a new culture. And, and that culture needs to be intentionally designed, built, and experienced and lived by everyone that is participating. Because it's not enough, you know, we used to be in that world where the leadership team would go out for two days, come up with an inspirational vision statement, would hang it on the walls of every floor in every building and feel great about it. But it's not enough. If you don't intentionally put tools and experiences that feed it and make it tangible, culture simply happens randomly in the corridors during casual coffee breaks and through gossip. People build it, and therefore people need to be equipped to behave and live by it. So it's it's great time to think twice about, you know, how do we reward people and what needs to be rewarded in the, in the company ecosystem, but equally across, again, with suppliers, with customers, with partners. We're going to need very complex solutions. And that's going to require that we're not just looking at our individual metrics and just grow, you know, 10, sell 10 more cases, but, you know, how to legitimately put and push us all forward. So I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. And to your point, I agree with you. It's not about building nonprofit organizations that are global. It's, it's about creating a, 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 a model in which these opposing forces, which is ROI and, and, and people and, and greater good, can come together. And companies already exist that are doing them. There, there are a few of them. But, yeah. you know, Deloitte, Deloitte has calculated that these companies are eight times more successful during a 10-year sustained period than companies that don't. Well, you put that into the current environment, and I'm sure it's not going to be eight times. It's going to be more like 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, times have changed. The numbers are up, for sure. I mean, I think what's, I mean, obviously, you and I are, are totally in agreement with those things. That's why we're having this conversation. I think um, you're right. There's plenty of data in the world today that shows that businesses that are led with emotional intelligence um, do better. So there was some research I saw just this week um, from a software business that showed that the top 10% of their software engineers Mm -hmm. who rank highly in emotional intelligence, empathy, connectiveness, those types of things, had three times the output of the other 90%. So those that didn't rank highly on emotional intelligence and connectedness. 
So without a doubt, the, the data is there. We know it. It's intuitive. It's obvious, mm-hmm. actually, that we cannot continue this growth at all costs mindset, right? Because nothing else on the planet grows at all costs or, or forever. Trees, plants, animals, birds, they all stop growing. So why is it that we think um, that our companies should just continue to grow forever at the cost of every other organism that's making it up? I mean, I think it's it's time for a change. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, look, you obviously work with um, both sides of the coin. So the agency side, the client side, and you continue to do work in coaching. Now, how do you think you change the minds of some of those older, perhaps, leaders who have lived through 20 years of growth at all cost and don't really fancy making a change. How are we going to do that? Oh, well, you know, um, I think that, bef- you know, at, at the heart of it, there has to be kind of a, a personal choice to grow in terms of leadership. And if, if the ecosystem is not providing it, I think it's, it's definitely the leader's responsibility to start, you know, questioning themselves. And, um, and again, this, the current environment is, is definitely creating the right environment for, for that bigger questions to come into place. Because I don't think many of them are having fun today, are finding their jobs rewarding. And, and, and to me, that's the, the crucial wake-up call. And, and that would be kind of my recommendation to the leaders out there. It's just ask yourself this question. Do you really feel like getting up every morning and going to work? Because, you know, the new world is going to require a lot of energy. To your point about energy, it's going to demand incredible amounts of energy. And, and we used to tap into an energy that was basically fueled by personal ambition or a simple mere high sense of responsibility. And, and it's not going to be enough because not only we're going to be demanding more energy, but we're going to be demanding of a new kind of energy, the, the energy that is contagious and that multiplies, that continues to add more energy. And that's what empathetic leadership does. It enables you to provide and serve and and produce a very positive energy that gets contagious. So others can do the same. So it kind of creates this positive ripple. And that's the kind of level of energy companies are going to need. The other kind of energy, which is the one we used to use up until a couple of months ago, just drains everybody. Drains Mm -hmm. yourself because it's not an a positive enabling energy, it's a negative destructive energy. So people spend 80% of their energy being defensive and distrustful versus putting 100% of their energy in solutions and making it better for everyone. So I think it's, it's, it's not only an opportunity, but it's the leader's responsibility to say, how am I going to enable my teams to give me 300% more, because unfortunately, that's what the new environment is going to demand. So we need to produce an ecosystem that is virtuous, not vicious. And virtuous is this kind of energy is the one that produces, to your point, this new definition of, of productivity. This is the sustainable productivity strategy. The other strategy is not sustainable. It's unsustainable productivity. 
it, it, it kind of gives you short-term fixes because you're going to be able to, you know, cut costs by 10% or, you know, reduce the headcount by 15%, but that is not sustainable. And I think we already hit the limit of, of that strategy. Now we're going to need that those fewer hands do more because they want to do more, because they are equipped to do more. And then you create a virtuous circle of energy because ultimately energy goes where focus is put. If we put the focus on building, we are going to build solutions. If we put our focus on negativity and distrust, we're just going to be seeing those rotation levels go up the roof. Today, they're already alarming. You know, we see like, you know, 40% rotation, 50% rotation, and that's high cost for the organizations as well. So I think we also need to start creating models that calculate just how much opportunity and cost we are flushing down the toilet every month because people are not putting their energy in building solutions, in being an innovative, in being proactive versus, you know, putting their energy in finding a new job or just doing what is absolutely the minimum necessary to, you know, collect the check at the end of the month. And by definition, that doesn't produce engaged employees and it doesn't attract the best talent. No, of course. And I mean, I absolutely love what you just said um, about virtuous, being virtuous versus vicious. It's just a, a, it's so, oh my gosh, it's so raw um, because it is, it is true. You know, I was speaking this morning to some people about this, um, the phrase dog eat dog, which probably is a bit old fashioned now, but you know, that dog eat dog world um, that is, um, is, you know, eating everybody up literally and is very vicious and does, as you say, put the focus on the wrong place. And that energy is all consuming. Exactly. Um, and there's a reason that people say energy is infectious and, you know, laughter, of when course. people laugh, others laugh. Like we are tuned as human beings to mirror. We are designed, we are designed to thrive in positive yeah. emotions. We are. I will talk about that in the other chapter two. But in chapter two, we'll do that. Sure. But yes, I think it's all about energy. It's about you put in good energy, you produce ten times more energy. You put in Absolutely. the wrong energy, and you're just dragging it by half. Absolutely. And you know that's what I've been trying to do in my business here for two years now. Is is just focus on that. You know, much to the dismay of my CFO, I'm sure, not looking at spreadsheets and the balance and the numbers and the checks and all those things but looking at the people how do I feed not literally but feed the energy of these people how do I make them want to work and want to rebuild not because you're forcing them to but because you have a united team that is going towards a goal mm -hmm. um, you know, with a mutual shared inspiration and, and passion for doing that and you know we all have to work hard we all have to do stuff in our jobs we don't enjoy um, but if you can understand what drives individuals, why they're in it, why do they get up? It might be because of their love for bulldogs or their love for writing music or their love for singing. Why? What is it that drives them? I had this incredible example of, uh, of one of our programs where, where, you know, two people hated each other, literally wouldn't talk to each other. And they were just sabotaging each other every, at every opportunity. And, and as we progress into activating these human qualities, which is just making people remember they're humans. That's, that's all. It, it's not rocket science. That's, that's what we do. And through the process, these two individuals found out that they had an incredible big thing in common, which was the fact that they were both adopted. 
By the end of the program, they were best friends. They're the best collaborative individuals. They're helping each other. They are thriving together. So there's there's a lot of energy. There's lots of places where, where you can tap the right type of energy if you activate the human side of the business. That's that's and we are great at enabling the brain. We do that brilliantly. And we have all of the metrics and we have all of the systems and we have the protocols and you have the IT guy and who comes in and puts the latest technology, et cetera. We are in need of activating the heart of the business. That's where we are lagging. That's where the gaps, big gaps are. And that's where the huge opportunity lies now moving forward. So I'm optimistic, Mimi. I I know the world is not instantly going to turn into these type of uh, companies, but I'm sure we'll see a lot more of it. And those will be the winning companies. Those, those who do it will get the best talent, will get the best ROIs, and will be you know, writing business cases in a few years, explaining to others <laughs> what humanizing business can do <laughs> to the end. Because we're also facing very big questions as, 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 as the planet today. And we can no longer expect governments to fix it for us. We'll have to do it. I mean, the, the, the business will have to come together and put solutions to the, food, to the food industry, to the quality food we're eating, to the obviously the fuel and the sustainable energy, to how do we take care of this planet, to how, do we, uh, wh- how are we more inclusive, how do we deal with migration. I think it's, we, we can no longer wait for governments to fix it. We will have to, we'll have to come, and, and actually that's going to create a bigger purpose. And it's amazing, you know, we just saw it in the crisis. Companies were wowed by their employees' capability of coming up with solutions and ideas in 24 hours because they were serving others. And that's when creativity and everything happens. So I'm I'm inspired. I'm inspired by this crisis. And I'm not being disrespectful. We're paying a very high price for for what's happening. But but sometimes we need this, this level of shake to react and to find opportunity and and. We'll, we'll talk in a few years, and I'm sure we'll have lots of examples of these wonderful I, things happening. I really hope so, because you're right. Very difficult to feel comfortable with finding opportunity in a crisis, but that is indeed um, one way of looking at it and just a fantastically inspiring way to end this. And, you know, I love what you said then around sort of organizations that can activate the heart. Um, so many people dismiss that. Um, but when you look at neuroscience and you look at the evidence and the data out there, and, and you and I will unpack that in part two, um, you can't debate it. Um, when you look at the business data of the businesses that are doing best, that are thriving and that are growing in these times and in the last five or 10 years, they are doing it too. So, Alma Denegil, I am so, so honoured that you came on this for part one. I can't wait for us to start looking a little bit more um, at the essence of these things in part two. Um, The founder of Unlimited Potential, um, an engagement coach and a mind mentor at Quality Mind Global. Alma Dena, thank you so much for joining me today and I shall look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Mimi. My pleasure, my honour. You are one of those inspiring leaders. So looking forward to chapter two. Thank you, Amu. Speak soon. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to continue the conversation, I'm often on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and all the links follow my name. My new book, Softening the Edge, will be out this August, and I'm counting the days. Meanwhile, all the details are on my website at www.miminiklin.com. 
I can't tell you how much I appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, have a great day. Bye.